0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Two percent, two percent, two percent.
0: The two percent's right over here.
1: Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here.
0: Uh, yeah, anything to support local food, know what I mean?
1: I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously.
0: Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m., where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in.
1: Alright, gotta get the plug in there, I get it.
0: Yep, I'm hashtag shameless.
1: You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right?
0: Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station.
1: That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, the Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats—those are shows that take you around the country and the world.
0: I'll give you that. So, how can listeners give their support?
1: It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing, taking place on Saturday, June 18th at Nettle Meadow Farm. For more information, visit com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, com.
2: I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Today I'll be talking to Fanny Gerson, a pastry chef and entrepreneur whose desire and mission is to preserve and share a part of her culture, the sweetness of Mexico. Next on A Taste of the Past. Hi and welcome to a taste of the past. I'm your host Linda Palaccio on this journey through culinary history. And you know, I, I've learned a lot uh, preparing for this show. I've learned that the confections and pastries of Mexico are as varied and storied as the many conquerors and colonists who influenced the country. And indeed, there is a young pastry chef, who Fanny Gerson, who has made it her mission to share the sweetness of Mexico, as she said, by making and sharing all the best natural Mexican paletas, ice creams, and sweets. Fanny is a celebrated pastry chef and entrepreneur. She's a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and has worked in many kitchens, including the three Michelin-starred Acalare in San Sebastian um, in Spain and Eleven Madison Park here in New York City and Rosa Mexicano, where she developed the celebrated modern Mexican desserts. Fanny's work has been featured in the New York Times and Gourmet and, and... all the journals and and magazines that you would know of that talk about food. She's a James Beard nominee for baking and desserts and a finalist in the Vendy Awards for her cart's La New Yorkina, which sell paletas. We'll talk about that. She has two books, uh, My Sweet Mexico and paletas, and a third one on the way. We heard, we're going to learn about that, all about ice creams. She's the chef and co-owner of the wildly popular donut shop, Dough, and the creator and owner of La New Yorkina, as I just mentioned, Frozen Treats Carts, and she's soon opening something else, which we'll hear about shortly, too, from her, um, and most excitingly, she's going, to, she's going to debut a brand new frozen dessert, correct? Is that uh, the, the Nieve de di... Garrafa? Mm-hmm. Fanny, welcome. You uh, you these books that you've written. My Sweet, I love them both. Paletas all about the frozen treats and we're going to define that for our listeners too um who aren't aware. And but your other book, My Sweet Mexico, I have to say won my heart because it is so, it captures so much of old Mexico and and the history and and the wonderful sweets that um, that are so um representative of the culture in order to write this book even though you are a native of Mexico and Mexico City you had to go back and travel for a year is that correct
3: yes well first thank you so much for for having me here my pleasure excited to be here Uh, yes I had to travel um, I traveled for almost a year Uh, to different parts of of Mexico because the sweets um, a lot of part of the cuisine in Mexico but particularly the sweets are part of an oral tradition so they're handed down from generation to generation there aren't a lot of cookbooks out there so I basically wrote the book that I kept looking for (laughs)
2: you know? <laughs> that's how I like to that's, put it. That, that's what you have to do. Yeah, right? and
3: and also because of the, they're largely um, a part of the oral tradition, people are very, uh, as we say in Mexico, very jealous. So very protective of the recipes. Like they won't, um, they won't just. Hand it or, or share it with anybody. I have, uh, in fact, uh, a friend of mine who's a, a famous pastry chef in Mexico, but it is her grandmother through her father's side that's a, an amazing cook. And none of the cousins cook, and uh, they all wanted to have the, the recipes. I mean, sorry, my, my my friend was the one who wanted to have the recipes, but her grandmother would not give her the recipe book because she was a grandchild through a son and not through a daughter. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, to me, that just <laughs> exemplifies how some people take it, you know, because they think that's their most prized possessions and rightly so. So... um but she you would know, rather die with that. She would knowledge rather than die with that on. knowledge. So oh. that's so that's always you know the thing that I try to um, explain. And you know, it's for me th- this book is an attempt to document part of these stories, part of the heritage, uh, part of the, the the richness and culture behind to give it continuity so mm. that you know they don't just. Go
2: to the grave. <laughs> well, and you talk a lot about continuity, continuity of, mm-hmm. of technique and, and tradition, and and you know, And I'm staring at another guest that I was going to wait until after our break before I introduce her, but I figure <laughs> I better give our listeners just yes. a heads up, and that is Rosio Sanchez. Rosio Sanchez is here from Copenhagen. She's a good friend, right? And I think now possible. Collaborator on a project we're going to hear about. Rosio was the former; um, she's a pastry chef, uh, formerly of Noma in uh, Copenhagen, the, the famed restaurant that is now closed, Rene Redzepi's restaurant, and. She has a new venture in Copenhagen. So if you travel to Copenhagen, you're going to be able to eat tacos because she opened a taqueria. We're going to talk more with Rocio um, a little bit later in the show, but I just wanted to give everybody a heads up so you can be listening for that as well. Uh, because, Fanny, we have so much to talk about with your boy. <laughs> <laughs> you you made a very interesting statement of culinary history, in which I'm going to quote, and then and you explain it to me, for, to our listeners. The rich tradition of sweets is one of the fortunate results of the mestiz, mestizaje, or cultural blend, of Mexico. So explain that for our listeners. What what do you mean by that? Yeah, so what do you think about, like, a traditional
3: Mexican food? Even if you think of savory dishes, you know, uh, if you think of a, a traditional dish like uh, enchiladas, you know, enchiladas wouldn't exist even though they 're very iconic Mexican without the Spanish influence, mm-hmm. the Spanish brought you know the cattle, so there was no dairy beforehand before the dairy there were no there were a lot of sweets that didn 't exist so they brought with them you know a lot of um, ingredients that we didn 't have in Mexico, but at the same time they also found a lot of ingredients that they didn 't know about so that 's sort of the the cultural blend there were a lot of Negative aspects, of course, yeah. of, <laughs> of the um, of the mestizaje. So that you know, primarily, you know, the, the when the Spaniards arrived to to Mexico, but what I talk about the fortunate aspect is is precisely that you know there were a lot of um, you know there's a lot of cultural richness with that. the The Spaniards also brought with them a lot of nuns. Because mm-hmm. uh, they wanted, the, you know, they settled and they created convents and they wanted to to bring religion as well. Mm-hmm. So, but the nuns, they brought, you know, uh, they were a huge influence in the tradition of sweets in Mexico. And if you think about the culture, it, the cultural blend, still continues to, to happen. It, it evolved in the 1920s in Mexico. We had uh, the president, um, Porfirio Diaz, who loved everything French. If you look at the traditional um, menus for very important festivities... Uh, it's all not just French food, but they're written in French. Huh.
2: So you as see so it, many as so many menus were of that time. <laughs> yes, you know, exactly. It, it, it spoke of exalted, you know, of of richness and and culture. Yeah, and uh,
3: so you know, cafe started happening. Different kinds of pastry. So to me, that's what you know. And at what moment do you call something authentic Mexican? Yeah. So I define that in the book as sort of well, it's a fine line. You know, is it you know. Uh, like I said, enchiladas, if it were savory, or um, you know, jamoncillos, which are made, uh, which are uh, basically caramelized milk candy made with sugar cane. So sugar and the sugar the cane, sugar came cane from the sugar cane also came from the Spaniards. <laughs> so, so do you just call it authentic if it was pre-Hispanic? Um, you know what I mean. So yeah. I think that if it's been around
2: for a long time and Mexicans have embraced it as 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 our own. Well, and you're absolutely right, and that's an argument that goes on with culinary historians mm -hmm. very often. And that word authenticity. I mean, who's who's authentic? You know, who who is
3: it? You know, and and even like more modern things. uh, um, I remember hearing uh, Diana Kennedy speak once uh, with a friend of mine uh, about you know we eat jicamas with uh, chili salt and lime mm-hmm. i grew up with that and to uh to me that's a very mexican thing to to diana that's that's nonsense you know because mm. it hasn't been around for long enough long enough <laughs> so who 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 is to say and um you know it's a very fine line All so right. so to me i'm like if i I personally grew up with it, and my parents grew up with it, and my grandparents grew up with it. That
2: qualifies as right. Well, when the Spaniards like... came, as you mentioned in your book, they found a lot of flavors that they incorporated a lot of mm-hmm. from the Arabs from the, who had been there. Um,
3: yes, uh, that's also something very interesting to me because they had a lot of Arab influence. And so if you look at some of the Mexican sweets uh, and a lot of the traditional Arab sweets, they are one and the same. Like there's a recipe in, in the book that has, it's a date roll with pecans. Mm-hmm. If people would see it, you wouldn't automatically think it's Mexican. You would think it's more.
2: Um, now the, the guava roll with pecans. Now, now say, the oh, guava okay. roll, then <laughs> right. you
3: see. So I think, and, and mo- you know, they found a lot of different fruits. In Mexico exotic you know uh, tropical fruits that they didn't have and chilies and chocolate mm-hmm. you know the cacao which was used as a which was um, uh, a religious beverage uh, in in the first so I think that that cultural blend to me is one of the most uh, interesting and um, important things that oh I it's a highlight in the book
2: it's fascinating and and the fact that you um, that you have tried to capture some of these um, these traditional uh, Actually, heirloom desserts mm-hmm. is um, is terrific, and 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 devote you know a large, quite a large chapter to yes. it as well, which <laughs> I like. Um, what um, what have you done? I mean, in, to let's say modernize or um, make some of these heirloom, these old recipes. More user friendly for modern cooks because I know some of them are probably rather lengthy and difficult recipes. Yes,
3: yeah. I mean there's still some in the in the book that are time consuming because uh, some things you just can't hurry and you pound shouldn't.
2: the nuts for three hours in a mortar. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, but you know nowadays you know you don't uh, use metate, you mm-hmm. know like the volcanic uh, rock. Right. or sort of stone to grind things you can use a food processor um a lot of the recipes they used to use um raw milk and the, which would then they would pasteurize but that's also because it's not available like right. I would always encourage to use that if <laughs> if it's available, but you know the the use of uh, um blenders and um food processor certainly speeds up the the process um you know, even just the the chocolate. You know, there's a lot of people in Mexico right. who get the cacao beans, and then they make they grind them on the by themselves, and they add the sugar. So, if you want to do that, there is a recipe to do that. If you wanted to, to explore mm-hmm. in that, but um, but you know, people nowadays have busy lives. So, but I did want to make sure to include some of those, as well, because I wanted to be true to.
2: Is there a real taste difference when those those beans are ground in the on the stone, and you you really, I, do you really I, sense a difference? I always
3: think there's there's a difference. I mean, you think about you know there there's a connection, right, of the hand when you think about a, a dough kneaded by hand mm-hmm. versus a dough kneaded. Now that doesn't mean you can't make something that's tasty and delicious, but it's that connection of something artisan and something, and there's a beauty of it that's that, that that's unparalleled. But I I definitely think that there it's not just um, making it by by hand, but also what ingredients you get, because you can make something by hand, but have you know crappy ingredients. Like what's yeah. better, or yeah. having better ingredients and using it in a more modern way. Right. That's know, what so you that's said. Also, Everything
2: starts with the best
3: ingredients. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about the excitement of some of the the um, the conquerors and the, and the colonists who came through, and you mentioned, of course, right off the bat, some of the um, exotic fruits, mm-hmm. and a lot of those are still used in in the desserts. Yes. Is that correct? And so, talk about some of those. I mean, in particular, to me, which was something um, unique to me, was zapote negro.
3: Oh, I have a really funny story about zapote okay. negro from my my goals. So, zapote negro is um, it's a, it's a round fruit that. It looks very unassuming. And if you cut it open, it's mud black hmm. inside. And the most traditional way to use it is to make um, a, a dessert where it's just mixed with some orange juice or tangerine juice is and it, a little bit of is sugar. Is it sweet or tart? It's, no, no, it's it's sweet, but it's, it's a very subtle um, flavor. I can't think of anything to compare it to um, off the top of my head. But uh, it's just... The, the exotic fruit and it's something that doesn't export well mm. either. Like as a I've, I see it, you know more and more in the states. Thankfully, I see more ingredients that yeah. I I couldn't get before. But um, you know, and and actually, when it's very soft, when it seems like oh, it's almost um, gone, it's when it's perfect. Hmm. You know, so it's kind of I guess it it has maybe some prune qualities. To it in 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 the so it's taste. Smooth taste, you know. So right? yeah, yeah, so it's a smooth taste. Have you had
4: negro? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you can describe it any any better, but I um, would oh, like the density of like sweet potato kind of. Yeah, kind of like uh, it's it's a bit
3: starchy. Yeah, dense. you know, like uh-huh. but, uh huh. But but it's just it's 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 subtle. So I have um, uh, an uncle who's actually mm-hmm. very serious, a very serious uh, guy, and so it's really funny for you especially funny if you met him and he's a doctor and he was in medical... No, he, he was working somewhere in a hospital and his mother had brought uh, to the States some of that, that um, dessert that I'm talking about just frozen so he would have it. So he played a joke on a nurse where he put it in a diaper... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "Oh my God, <laughs> look at what happened!" And so he opened the diaper, and then he and he looked at it, and he smelled it, and then he took a <laughs> he took a lick of it, and she was just mortified, yeah. and, you know, thinking it was something else. But uh, oh. but no, it's, it's uh, you know the the tropical fruits. I mean, that's one of the things that I miss the the most about uh,
2: Mexico. Yeah, oh, and some of the others that you that you have recipes in there for uh, guanabana.
3: Yeah, guanabana. Oh. Um, guanabana. Okay. Guanabana. Uh,
2: it's called sour here. Yeah, here,
3: and you Ooh. see it occasionally, and it's an odd shape, um,
2: you know, kind of ovalish. Looks uh, almost like a prickly one. pear or something. It's but weird. it
3: looks like you. It has these um, indentations on the outside, like if you have thumbprints mm. on it, and it has uh, white flesh, and the flavor to me is somewhere between like a lychee and a pear. Mm. <gasps> I love it. Mm. Don't you yeah, love I've it? Had it? Yeah, it's really good. Oh, my God. And it has these black seeds. And it's just, you know, and, and in Mexico, you fruit is definitely, uh, you know, often a dessert on its own. You know, like in most houses. In my house, I always, uh, we always had uh, fruit, whatever was in season, as dessert. Although my siblings would say that's not dessert, <laughs> <laughs> so we had it as a part of dessert. Right. But um, and it's seasonal, you know. And people look for it, like they know the guavas are gonna come, you know, uh, like in in December they're starting to appear. So so it's something really special that that you look forward to just getting that that's, that time yeah, of year. That's great. I
2: love seasonal things like that. Yes. It makes, yeah. <laughs> um, some of the other ingredients that you talk about, um, uh, mame? Mame. Mame. So mame,
3: oh, it's, it's a very... Um, so it, it has a texture of, like, avocado, so it's very creamy, and the, the flesh is, like, a pinkish-orange kind of salmon colored and that's also it's one of those fruits that it has to be just right to taste good to me. Like if it's just a little underripe or overripe, it's just not it's
4: flavorless.
3: You know, it's flavorless. And that that is actually it reminds me of sweet potato. Uh-huh. More so um in, in flavor. Not not as sweet. But um that particular fruit is often made into desserts with condensed milk or dairy. It just plays very very well, kind of chestnut-y mm, um, uh, flavor. Yeah. So uh, you can sometimes find them in, in the
2: states. And the guava, the cooked guava. Oh, so I mean, which guava. is something that we, you know, don't often find on you know in other recipes. But um, yeah. next time we have the cooked guava.
3: Yeah, the the guavas are used uh, a lot in Mexico in uh, in desserts and cooked. When you cook them, they really bring out you know their their fragrance. Mm-hmm. I mean. My mouth literally is watering. <laughs> like I, when I think of guavas, I always think of uh, ponche. So we have in like Christmas time, we do. We use guavas a lot. Mm-hmm. So they make uh, ponche, which is like a, a like a fruit punch drink, but not not like this red right. <laughs> stuff. You, <find. laughs> um, you know, so it's like water with you know pieces of sugar cane and whole pieces of guava, and it's just extremely fragrant and piloncillo. Um, it, it's just delicious. They also make a syrup to put on top of um, these these uh, fritters, bunuelos. Oh my god, it's so good! <laughs> <laughs> and it's often paired with uh, cinnamon, with Mexican cinnamon. Mm-hmm, so right. it's just it's really nicely cooked, and uh, it has a lot of hard seeds. And you can find either uh, yellow, white, or pink ones, depending on the on the region. But um, but in Mexico, and I think that's a very important thing, we embrace the, the seeds in things. So where I find, you know, in other parts of the world, and certainly here in the States, you know, if you see like a raspberry sorbet, it's often without seeds. Strained, right. You know, strained, strained out of any, anything. You know, right. and, and uh, so we, in, in Mexico, uh, we like textures, you know. So there's, if you, guavas, a lot of people don't understand them. They haven't had them because they're hard
2: seeds, you know, um, but but we love that. Yeah. Well, also um, s- things that are commonly used are amaranth seeds. Yes. So,
3: um, puffed amaranth. Um, amaranth is very interesting because it's um, it's a grain that the they the Spanish try to eliminate. They actually forbid the you know f- forbid the pre-Hispanics to grow because they used to use them in ceremonial rituals. Mm. Uh, so they they continued harvesting them in secret. So it has prevailed through time because they used to use them in these ceremonies and they would bind them uh with blood and uh you know in the in the ceremonial right. rituals. But actually the oldest candy that I found in Mexico is one that is still made today. It's called alegrías uh which means um happiness, happiness. or joyfulness <clears throat> and it's a puffed amaranth, binded um With honey, Uh, but it used to be with like natural, um, like agave, uh, uh, honey from agave uh, plant, Um, or later on piloncillo, and nowadays uh, sugar cane, and it's formed into these discs. Uh, and you can still find. Now we have that the puffed amaranth
2: chocolate. Right.
3: Well, um, now it's making
2: it's making it come back here in in this country too. You find a lot of cereals that you know yeah. boxes that that contain amaranth. Yeah,
3: and, but it's been around. In, yeah, it's an ancient. Grain. Used, yeah, it's an ancient. It's an ancient grain. and and yeah, it's it's puffed always. So they puff it on top of these uh, the comales, like uh-huh. the um, griddles. And they use this kind of this brush, kind of like the the you know the brushes they use to, to clean um uh like pots, like yeah, the old school sure. brushes. Yeah. Uh so so it sort of it dances around on top of the 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 comal, uh so that it cooks. Like it puffs as it as it mm-hmm. cooks because it goes all over the place. Oh, like a fun to ceremony and itself. It is.
2: Right? <laughs> it right. is. And hibiscus, hibiscus, it, it was is largely used, and we're seeing more of that um, yeah. all over too.
3: Yeah, you see that hibiscus. Sometimes they call it here sorrel um, mm. as well, and it's uh We just love a lot of um, acidity. We were just talking about that mm-hmm. earlier, Josie and I, how Mexicans we love anything tart, and we we. Um, we use it a lot uh, in savory and sweet preparations. Mm. Well, let's... I'm
2: looking at the at the time here because I have so much I want to talk about. <laughs> but um, something that... Uh, some of the unusual um, heirloom recipes... I know you mentioned bean candy and McWen- uh, mueganos. Mm-hmm. Mueganos. Mueganos, okay. Of course, everyone knows churros, Yes. right? And... Um, and then the ones, then the desserts that are, of course, associated with religious ceremonies, as you mentioned before, and the, mm-hmm. and of course Day of the Dead. Everyone knows about the well, not everyone, but I'm assuming many people yes. know about <laughs> Pan de Muerto and and um, of the the artistry involved in so many of the pastries, particularly the sugar skulls, of course. Yes, yeah, but, um, but you um, you have quite a. Um, a strong affinity for the Pan de Muerto. I do. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I love Pan de Muerto. And actually, you could write an entire book of, of, of just Pan de Muerto because the, the Pan de Muertos are different depending on the region uh, where you are. Mm. So so the the one in the book is the one that you find most widely across, you know, but... But even so, it's flavored differently. Some people put anise seeds. some people put orange and orange blossom, like, like I have it in the book. Um, but it's something that is very special. And again, it goes back to something you get at this one time of year. Uh, you know And, and uh, in Oaxaca, for example, they have these ones that are not particularly sweet, um, and they have like the little face of like a doll face, you know, kind of baked into it and sometimes it, they're extremely adorned i mean really they're just so beautiful and special and i think that it's uh that's a perfect example of ceremonies um treat you know bread and right. um, and you know in mexico death is celebrated in it's not that death is celebrated it's that the people are celebrated so it's not a morbid thing no. it's uh it's like- just
2: celebrating their lives—they're they're not with us anymore—but celebrate exactly. them, right? You know, um, what when you did this traveling around to write the book, um, I'm sure you—I don't know if you were aware—you tell me—but you talk about how about all, how many suites are are quite regional. They have a lot of mm-hmm. differences depending on the region that you go to. For instance, Puebla, you say, is is famous for their street suites.
3: Yeah. And, so there, there's definitely a lot of regionality. Some of the, the, the regional aspects have to do with things that, that grow there or things that they have. So in the north of Mexico, for example, um, they have a lot of goat's milk-based candies because they have a lot of goats there. In, um, Funny how popular
2: yeah. goat's milk <laughs> caramels have become. Yes.
3: Right? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, you know, in other areas where coconut... Grows, mm-hmm. you know, they they have it there, um, so it it is something very interesting, and and food in general in Mexico, like both savory and sweet, is extremely original. So sometimes, like I said, it's it's due to the climate, but and particularly the the fruits. Some fruits don't even travel, uh, don't travel well to to other parts, or yeah. even if they would, people in other areas. Maybe just one state below or two states below uh, don't, don't know about them. So, um, but that makes it extra extra special. All
2: right. <laughs> um, there's one of the um, heirloom recipes that you include, and I'm looking to see which one that is. It's the tortina um, filled with a pumpkin seed. Oh, cream. the what? tortita de Santa tortita. Clara. Tortita. Yeah, yeah okay.
3: so that that... Say um, that slowly for me again. Is Torta de Santa Clara. Yeah. Torta de Santa Clara. Or tortitas, okay. Santa Clara. So those are um they were developed in, in the convent of Santa Clara or believed to be where the name comes from. And it's a it's a sugary cookie, uh originally made with lard, it was believed, but now made with butter, and it has this center made with pumpkin seeds.
2: So inside, yeah, so stuffed. Ins- with
3: a- no, it's not stuffed. It's so not- it's um, so it's round, mm-hmm. and it has these edges that are sort of pressed. Um, that has like ridges, kind of looks like a sun. And then in the center, um, it has this sort of glaze made with um, that's brown glaze made with the pumpkin seeds. Mm. Uh, and it's it's from the region, but there you see um, the Arab influence right away. You mm-hmm. know, like you have a lot of. Um, things made with seeds and, and nuts and that's definitely right
2: of course you know, we're familiar with pumpkin seeds being used in a lot of recipes Mexican mm-hmm. recipes yes so. it wasn't surprising to me but and brittles a lot of uh, a, lot a lot of pumpkin brittles. seed brittles yeah. right?
3: so so yeah so you you know there's some recipes you're like well that doesn't that's that really Mexican? And it just goes back to sort of
2: a, the beginning of our
3: conversation.
2: <laughs> well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Rocio Sanchez and also about paletas and ice cream. So hang in there.
1: Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing is a celebration of good food and beverages in the newly restored Barn Loft event venue at Nettle Meadow Farm in Thurman, New York. On Saturday, June 18th, come sample and savor, then buy your favorite cheeses and beverages to take home. Nettle Meadow Cheeses have been praised highly in national media and have won prestigious awards from the American Cheese Society taste samples of goat and sheep cheese is paired with an array of local regional wines, beers, and ciders. You'll never forget your first sample of rich, creamy Kunik, Nettle Meadows' trademark cheese. In Esquire, our very own Anne Saxelby said, Kunik, it may very well be the sexiest cheese in the USA. Nettle Meadow Farm is a goat and sheep dairy and cheese company in Thurman, New York, just below Crane Mountain in the Adirondacks, between Gore Mountain, North Creek, and Warrensburg. It's owned and operated by Lorraine Lembiasse and Sheila Flanagan. Both have a great love of animals, artisan cheese, and the unique challenges of farm life. Nettle Meadow Farm was originally founded in 1990, and it's the home of over 300 goats, dozens of sheep, and a variety of farm sanctuary animals. Again, the cheese and spirits pairing is Saturday, June 18th. For more information and tickets, Visit nettlemeadowcheeseandspirits.com. That's Nettle Meadow Cheese and Spirits dot com. That's N E T T L E Meadow Cheese
2: and Spirits dot com. Hi, we're back, and I'm speaking with uh, Fanny Gerson and Uh, who has written several wonderful books on Mexico and sweets and has wonderful shops. And Rosio Sanchez is with us also. She is the former pastry chef at um, Noma in Copenhagen. And now you can go to Copenhagen and have tacos at her taqueria called, (laughs) you say it, Rosio? Ijala Sanchez. Ijala Sanchez, okay. (laughs) The daughter of Sanchez? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, And... Uh, before we we get into talking about um the new ventures we have to talk about paletas because i promise everyone we talk about palettas. and the reason <laughs> we're having the show is because my assistant kat johnson was so excited about paletas just oh we should really do a show with with fanny gerson and Palettas. <laughs> so here we are kat you got it <laughs> um you've written a book solely devoted to paletas right? yes <laughs> um Describe what paletas means. We, I would say something too too trivial. So you describe. Yeah. So
3: so paletas are Mexican style ice pops.
2: I was going to say ice pops, but you know I didn't want to say <laughs> no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> That's what. But they are. they are so much more than an ice pop. I mean the flavors, the combination, the fruits. The...
3: Yeah. Well, I um, so Mexican paletas are you know primarily made with all natural ingredients and like fresh fruit and they have some of them have chunks some of them have chili some are dairy some are so they're very exciting so it's kind of it's it's we're excited uh about paletas in mexico the way that americans are excited about ice cream or italians about gelato and and the variety is is incredible
2: and you did, you decided to devote a whole business to it. I mean, yes, got I did. Your food carts called La New Yorkina. La New Yorkina. <laughs> You're no longer you. Did, you had to call it your, from your new temporary home. You split your time right between Mexico and New York. Yeah, well, I'm.
3: I w- I've been living in New York um, for almost 20 years, mm. um, and then I just I used to travel more uh, to Mexico, especially when I was doing the the book. So in my ideal life, I would like to. To be to split, be both, both to be both—it's <laughs> you know, hard. Re- yeah.
2: Really, do do that. So it, it is hard. Um, tell me, get that you. There's a very interesting history on uh, the Mexicans love their frozen treats, and yes. there are so many of them, right? And it has a history that's in, very involved in. in Intrigue and politics, volcanoes and monopolies. (laughs) Yeah, give us a little background on that. Yeah, so um, the first uh, frozen treats
3: in Mexico, they um, they it is believed that it was um, snow that they gathered from the top of the volcanoes, and they would bring down uh, to you know to the land, and uh, they used to. Uh, put some natural like fruit syrups on top so that uh, or just mashed up fruit so those were the first frozen treats but then they had to but this was just primarily this wasn't for everyone it was just people in high power that were able to enjoy but it could but, afford
2: to send someone up to the top <laughs> of
3: yes, volcano to get but also you know they they needed to keep that ice for uh for a long time ice or snow um For a long time, because they also used it to preserve other things Mm -hmm. and and everything. So they used to create these pits on the ground. um, And they used to just do layers. So they would put pits, they would put burlap, uh, some of the ice, and then they would continue. And in some places, they put shells of cacao bean. So you just wanted to insulate it to to preserve it. So it's like a natural cooler. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until much, much later that, you know... Other people were able to to enjoy them as well, but uh, we have so many frozen treats. You know, we have. Um You know, like we have shaved ice with with the syrup. We have, again, regionally, uh, like in in Veracruz, in the state of Veracruz, they have these things called glorias. Have you had them, Josia? Mm -hmm. I love them. So (laughs) they have, uh, it's mashed up either banana or or strawberry with a little bit of cinnamon, sometimes vanilla. Then Mm. they have shaved ice, and then they put grenadine syrup and uh, condensed milk on top. Uh, And then we have the paletas, of course, and we have nieves de garrafa. Which All right.
2: uh, garrafa okay. yeah.
3: So so garrafas are these metal cylinders, um, where they make these ice cream or sorbet and you know it has uh, it's the the, the, the the garrafa itself is a cylinder mm-hmm. but it's basically ice cream or sorbet made with these in these wooden barrels with ice, blocks of ice that are right. and that is but it's not really churned, it's like it's paddled, so it's a huge no. paddle, it's a very long paddle, and that's how they, they freeze it. Um, and by by hand, but, and the paddle can be metal or or wood.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So you have a book devoted now to some of these ice creams. Yes. Right? So um, I'm. I just not out. it's in. not out yet.
3: It's not no, out yeah. yet. It will be out uh, <laughs> spring uh, sometime. I don't know the exact uh, release date of 2017, and it's going to be called Mexican Ice Cream. Um, Original. Yes. We actually <laughs> fought a lot about the... Not fought, no, but we had a lot of discussions. I wanted to call it El Lado Sin Nieves. But, um, you know, we went a lot of back and forth because we wanted to be very obvious to the customers, not because yeah, yeah, the, the well. readers and... Um, and so we we compromised, but it's a you know it tells you what it is, and and the subtitle is beloved stories and recipes because yeah. I wanted people to to know that it was much in line of my sweet Mexico that there were, you know, it was much more rich than just a, a collection of of recipes, and I just handed my manuscript last week, so well, congratulations, <laughs> thank Can't you. Can't wait
2: for the book to come. Well, <laughs> you you have said in the past that that. Um, Memories, food memories, are very important to you, and I think that's so true with with many people who are very involved in food. You you always remember your first foods or your first tastes of something wonderful. And, yes, and I, mean, I can see you as you're talking about Mexico <laughs> and traveling around, and eating something. I mean, you get this glow in your eye. You know, it's, it's great. Um, and and it's wonderful that you are trying to preserve this and that you are sharing it with everyone else. And, in fact, there is a lot of sharing of food and chefs around the world. And Rocio, Rocio Sanchez, you are one of them. It's so, It's. It's. I think it's um, a service that um, many chefs are doing to for the world, bringing the world, making it a smaller place, and, and kind of combining all these different cultures. And here you are, um, Mexican, traveling to... Copenhagen and becoming a pastry chef, but then ending up staying there and opening a taqueria. Tell us how that came about.
4: Well, I, I was living in Copenhagen for five years, over five years, and had already decided that I, I really liked living there. I liked um, the community that I had around myself, uh, the chefs and friends that I didn't find anywhere else that I'd worked. I'd worked in Chicago a little bit and New York a little before that. Um, and I thought it would be a great place to start. And, you know, the scene of Mexican food in Copenhagen is is at the bottom. Non-existent. <laughs> it doesn't exist. And, you know, I, I thought that I saw that as a, an opportunity to kind of introduce how good Mexican food can be. Um, and starting with tacos and making our own tortillas and importing all of the corn from Oaxaca, all the chiles from Oaxaca, and starting with the basics of, like you said before, the things that are craveable, the memories that are cherished, you know, by, by me. And I grew up in Chicago. Oh, okay.
2: I do, so I'm an American, Mexican-American. Mexican-American
4: okay, in a Mexican go. household in a Mexican neighborhood. And getting fresh tortillas every time. You know, if I wanted, if mom wanted to make tamales, we'd walk to the factory and go get the fresh masa and come back. <laughs> and there was something like, now that I see it, it's very luxurious to have, you know, and I've been in Copenhagen. You don't have that accessibility So I wanted to create that um, And starting with tacos And my favorite taco has been tacos de lengua Tacos de carnitas And all the other things And also paletas, which we do <laughs> Because again, as a Mexican um, You grew up eating these all the time And even in, in, in a neighborhood like in Chicago A little village where I grew up They're everywhere You get like the little um, Little carts in every corner so it's a part of me as as growing up so I wanted to kind of introduce that as well and we don't do it in the grand way that Fanny does it I'm a big fan of her so um, I'm in town for the like a day <laughs> <laughs> you're in and
2: town for a day do we have and you've been chatting and and smiling is there something special going on that you're going to yeah I'm in town for a day <laughs>
4: and I thought it would be really amazing if we did some some collaboration together so so, breaking news, folks. <laughs> what, what, what is it? So
3: we're gonna be doing uh, some special edition paletas that we're going to be. Uh, we haven't made them yet. We, we haven't made them yet. We went to get we went to get some ingredients. Not so breaking. Okay, we went to get some ingredients this morning, and we're gonna at Essex Market, and then we're getting uh, some more at the farmers market after this, and really just in a very organic. Way We just wanted to do like a collaboration and just have, have fun. But so we're going to be doing like a limited edition of paletas uh, that are going to be. We're going to be creating the recipes today, but we're going to be doing them in two weeks um, out of my little shop in, in Red Hook or in my little tiendita. And uh, part of the proceeds are going to go to an organization that I support uh, called Crea. And I think it's very in line to to who we are because it supports uh, women um, in Mexico that are entrepreneurs and themselves, but they come from very low-income areas. And, uh, you know, I just... Since I started La and I've been supporting them. Uh, so... And I just think it's it's very... It's exciting in, in many different ways because we can do something to give back, but also do something that's very special and uh, so it'll be coming up just for we'll, we'll do some like orders and uh, and at the tiendita well it
2: sounds as well. really exciting <laughs> and i know you have a um an ice cream and sweets shop coming up soon that yes. we'll talk about uh, that will be announced i'm i'm sure soon it's in um in Greenwich village and yeah, yeah
3: it's uh it's at um, on, on Sullivan, Sullivan Street and Wester. We actually went to. I went to uh, right. to share the space right. right
2: before, and that's literally a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Now Jake, this organization is uh, called CREA. Is that C R E A. Yes. C R E A. Interesting. Very mm-hmm. wonderful work that, and that is, sounds like a very worthwhile project. And Rosio, it was a pleasure to talk to you and meet you. We'll have to do a whole new other show on on your <laughs> travels. And Fanny, what a treat. Uh, a sweet Mexican treat. Yes. <laughs> thank you uh, so much. Thank you. And thank you. And, thank you. Uh, I know that the, everyone in the studio is anxiously awaiting because you brought some paletas for us all to try. Yes. <laughs> so I included. We want to dig in. And thank you so much. Please and, do. And thanks for listening to a taste of the past. <laughs>